millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the CapEx podcast. I'm John Ashmore, the editor of CapEx. Well, this week registered the hottest temperature in recorded history. And down in the corridors of the Commons, things were equally sweltering as we whittled down the Tory candidates to the final two out of the original ten that we had just two weeks ago. We're now down to Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss, who will face off uh, over most of August, and we'll have the result announced on September the 5th after a ballot of Conservative members, of whom there are about 160,000. Now, to discuss the race ahead and the campaign we've just had, we have assembled a crack panel of my colleagues. Uh, as ever, my deputy, Alice Denby. Hello, Alice. Hello. From the Centre for Policy Studies, our business researcher, Gerard B. Lyons. Hello, Gerard. Hi, John. Great to be here. <laughs> and also from the Centre for Policy Studies, our head of comms, Callum Price. Cal, welcome. Hello. Back Hello. to the podcast. You were on a few weeks ago. We were so great that we decided to get you back on. A pleasure. Right. So, uh, first, let's let's reflect on the whirlwind campaign we've just had. It's a bit of a strange one because it's MPs of the electorate. There's all sorts of skullduggery and briefing and counter-briefing and leaking. Of course, we don't know who does any of that leaking. Um, it's, uh, they call the Tory MPs the most sophisticated electorate in the world, which I've always thought was a bit of a euphemism. I mean, Alice, who do you think came out of the campaign particularly well... Did anyone do worse than you were maybe expecting to originally? I think obviously you have to say Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss both had good campaigns. Though I, I think actually they were probably the favourites from the start, being two of the most experienced. Um, I think particularly good campaigns, I think you've got to say Kemi Badnock was impressive. She came basically from, from nowhere. I mean, people who work in Westminster have had her their eye on her for a while, but it was a really insurgent campaign. I think she was really impressive. Um, I think people we might have expected to go further, you know, would we have expected a bit more from Jeremy Hunt, perhaps, from Nadeem Zahawi, from Sajid Javid? Yeah, I think a few months ago people might have thought Jeremy Hunt, when when Boris was really flailing, they were like, oh, who's the anti-Boris? Like a really kind of, how can I put it politely, just a kind of straight down the line sort of candidate who doesn't have any bells and whistles or any particular flair. And I think... I was surprised at how poorly he did as well. Gerard, any reflections? Yeah, I think on the Jeremy Hunt point, it's partly because he went to the membership already. I think that probably meant he was seen as a spent force amongst the MPs, sadly. But to build on Alice's point, um, I think all the candidates that made the TV debates fundamentally had good campaigns. Obviously, New Trust 
and Rishi already, but Tugendhat, Badenoch, and Penny Morden perhaps weren't didn't have that cut through the public. So in that sense, great campaigns for them. They've got themselves potentially the seat at the table. Yeah, I, th- I think there was a poll that said only about ten percent of the public could pick out Penny Morden in a photo, and that was about a week ago. Which I think, if nothing else, the Tory leadership contest exposes the gap between the kind of Westminster village political keynotes and the average punter. But certainly those people will now be a lot better known among the public. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, people like, people like Tom Tugendhat, Cameron Baird, not Penny to an extent, and even, maybe even Liz Trust to an extent, are, are, now, are now household names to an extent, um, and where, where they absolutely weren't before, thanks to the likes of the TV debates, really, um, which is which is sort of a good chance for everybody to see, to see what, what party has on offer. Just to go back on the Jeremy Hunt point, I think it's interesting, it's an interesting illustration to me that of, of, of the sort of the accepted knowledge groupthink in Westminster of who's up, who's down, can quite often get turned on its head in a, in a leadership contest. Obviously, uh, Liz and Rishi have ended up on top and they were maybe predicted to do so. But I recall... In 2019, everybody thinking, oh, we're probably past peak Boris at this point, but then it took two days and suddenly Boris is a shoo-in for it. And Jeremy Hunter, I think, is a similar one. You think, oh, he's probably going to do quite well. Sajid Javid as well, probably going to do quite well. Big beast of the party. Um, have been vocal on things. Sajid was obviously the first one to resign. And then they don't, uh, one of them doesn't even fail, fail to even make the threshold. So yeah. I think there's, there's, there's an element of, of yes, us, us in Westminster can sort of have a good go at, at predicting what's happening, but often, often that gets turned on its head. I think I saw a stat and by all means, correct me, that no one has ever won having tried before and lost in a Tory leadership believe that. competition. Yeah. Which I think is what, I mean, for it, Sajid's a good example. I'm, I'm a big fan of Sajid. I think he's a great guy and he's done, he's got loads of experience, but he's run twice yeah. and not won. And MPs will probably think But it is amazing as you say that the press were very keen to draw analogies with Jeffrey Howes' infamous speech. And then a few days later, he sort of dropped off the radar by virtue of obviously not qualifying for the threshold. Yeah, so, um, being the instigator doesn't give you any advantage, yeah. it seems. <laughs> That's one of the cliches of Tory leadership contests. I think a lot of journalists would probably want one day the person to wield the knife to win, so we can abandon that cliche altogether. Yeah. <laughs> he who game. wields the knife never wears the crown, is that right? Yeah, yeah exactly. That's the <laughs> Just on the TV debates, to my mind there were far too many for the, sort of, the size of the electorate at this point as MPs, and we have three debates, or would have had three debates in the space of, what, four or five days. I mean... Do you think they were right, Alice, to cancel the last one? I definitely think they were right to cancel the last one. I'm surprised they did so many. They're such a double-edged sword. So on the one hand, it gave the candidates a chance to sort of present themselves to public and raise their profile. But the public are not the electorate here. It's MPs they were talking to. And I'm... and I'm surprised, and you see people don't you know, like to see them going at each other, tearing chunks out of each other. It doesn't present a united party. Whereas what you should be doing, I'd have thought on a campaign, is talking to MPs behind the scenes. In those private meetings, you can be as rude as you like about your opponents. Um, so, so I think it's been great for the profile of candidates like Kemi Badenoch and Tom Tuganat, but yeah, I am surprised that they agreed to do so many. Yeah, I think there's, there's two parts to this. I think... I think what Penny got right in her messaging on the campaigns was that, you know, we have a general leadership, um, sorry, general election soon. So in that sense, I think it's good that we did have that exposure. But I do agree with Alice that perhaps if you were going to come to those leadership debates, it probably should have been later on when the field was less crowded. And for also from a political point of view, it's, you know, if you're Graham Brady or other backbenchers, you're perhaps a bit concerned by the blue-on-blue action. And that probably explains why that Sky debate has been canned. Yeah. There's also a real game of political chicken 
between the leadership candidates when they when they say yes to a debate, they want to be seen like yes, they're up for it. They're happy to have to take the arguments to the airwaves and take on their opponents, but they do not want to be in a position where you are bracketing yourself away from the front runners. So nobody wants to do it unless Rishi and Liz are doing it. And then so as soon as Rishi and Liz pull out, then then the whole thing falls apart because you don't want to do that. And then so Rishi and Liz will want to do a little bit of it as they did to show that yes, they want to take the sort of the fight to the airwaves and can have these arguments. But it gets to the point where I think absolutely quite rightly they just said we don't need this again for a third time running. I mean, no, we're no, running this yeah, thing really. So. No one got the double edged sword quite like Boris Johnson. Yeah. who chickened out of both the kind of panel debate. So you might remember Rishi Sunak yeah. did the TV debate when he was Chief Secretary to the Treasury, which is was really quite weird. It was, everyone in Western was like, oh, it shows what a rising star is. But it was yeah. like, he's probably one of the most junior cabinet roles and he was put out to go against like Nicola Sturgeon and various other party leaders. And then obviously Boris not doing Andrew Neil. I guess the same speaks, thing Richard, like, it speaks how yeah. tight this competition was, how even the figures that made the final two did have concerns they might not make it. The fact they felt they had to need they had to do the debates in the first place. Yeah. yeah the could, final margin was what, it was only about nine, eight, yeah. nine votes between Truss and Morden. So it shows you how yeah. Yeah, I mean that that Boris refusing to do Andrew Neil was just the sort of the absolute masterstroke of of this there's no point and we can we can absolutely take all of the heat that we're gonna get from the lobby and from the sort of the political classes who were saying, Oh, not willing for um I mean, I sort of anecdotally had friends and family who were like, I can't believe he doesn't want to face scrutiny. And my answer was, he doesn't, he, he doesn't care, it doesn't matter. Like, he yep. doesn't need to put himself up in front of that. He's the front runner, there's no need. He only loses from that. Um, and I think that's ex- eventually the conclusion that was reached. Of course, there's also the, the broadcasters are keen to, that's why there's the end. Um, I think what we need debate. to do, though, I think, especially for general, and this is a slight tangent, but is have just an established set of rules about what is done so people can't, you can't have like two candidates doing it and then third just saying, no, I don't fancy it, just on yeah. the basic grounds of, of fairness. Um, so we do have another TV debate coming up between Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak. I mean, judging by the, the last one on ITV, it, I mean, do we think it could get quite sort of nasty and personal or are they too conscious of the, the damage it might do or, you know, severing of relationships and so on? I'm surprised it did get quite so aggressive the first time around because they've been cabinet colleagues for a long time. If you actually dig down to the differences between them, there's barely a cigarette paper. I mean, the, mm. it, it all comes down to this fairly, and perhaps we'll get into this later, but this fairly academic, and I'd have thought to the general public, obscure argument about what you do about COVID debt and whether you raised, uh, sorry, cut taxes now or later on. So really, I mean, you'd have thought that they were both of a fairly similar wing of the party, even yeah. if they're different characters. And neither of them can really play the, I'm the change candidate, this this mess is all your fault card, can they? So yeah. it'll, it'll Fresh be start much... with the Chancellor from the last three years, <laughs> yeah, exactly. two years. Rather. But I so, think so. that's probably why it got so adversarial, because there's probably no easy way for Trust to legitimately claim she's anti the economic policies of the last government unless she says that I've disagreed with Rishi the whole time. I think I was personally surprised with how sort of adversarial it was. Um, I thought there were probably perhaps more diplomatic ways to make these points, but it speaks to the fact that Rishi um, and Liz respectively know they're going to have to take chunks out of each other to win the Tory membership. Yeah, my issue with it is that it is just... Um, we did a piece from uh, Shankar Singham earlier this week making this point quite well, that the, just the debate on tax has become really sterile and one-dimensional. So we're just talking about, oh, are you going to raise or lower this particular tax? And there's very little of the kind of 
well, what I think we need, which is kind of fundamental, quite radical reform of our economic model. I mean, you can have and then have an argument about what that should look like. I mean, do we stick with levelling up or do we lean into what we're obviously already good at, you know, tech, science, research, stuff like this, and try and max that out and slightly blairishly distribute the, the goodies? Or do we carry on? I mean, do we see any chance of either of these candidates completely departing from either the 2019 manifesto or anything that's been subsequently announced because there have been lots of bits tacked onto it since? I, I, I would be surprised because we're effectively working to a two-year window here. So it's basically, what am I going to do in the next two years that will, A, sort of re-correct the economy and, B, do everything we can to win the Tories the next general election. So I don't... Maybe in 2024 that vision will come for sort of, right, here we're doing. But I, they're not, nobody's going to rip up the levelling up agenda at, at, at the moment. Um, nobody's going to focus on anything really other than the cost of living. Nobody wants to, to bin the net zero target. So I think it'll largely be fairly niche arguments within that within that bracket because of the time frame that we're working to. So, Alice, does this present a political issue that perhaps Boris didn't have because he was someone who was, you know, the Heineken Tory, who wasn't particularly moored to any ideological position, whereas Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak now, I think, are going to be running for the base and sort of outlining their true blue conservative credentials. To then pivot back into onto a sort of Johnsonian big state spending agenda, it's a bit of a trick to pull off. I think the reason, and Cal touched upon this as you, John, in terms of the, the manifesto, the reason the economic policies are becoming the forefront is because that's where the only real differences lie. If you want to actually implement the manifesto and that's what you're elected on, clearly there's that appetite for that in the general public. Um, and it's very clear there is genuinely two very different schools of thought. You obviously have the Rishi school of thought, which he's articulated that it's not the time to borrow further and it's very much sort of obsessions with budget deficits and debt servicing costs. Um, and then you've got obviously the Liz school of thought, which is, you know, tax cuts can perhaps stimulate growth and growth's the key. You know, if you get economic growth up, then perhaps you can have a bigger state, you can achieve net zero. So I do think it's not just because feasibly that's the only thing they can actually differentiate each other from. But I think also philosophically, there's actually deep divergence there. Are there any other sort of policy areas we see where we were going to be looking at a very different approach from the government? I mean, one of the things, it's all sort of tied into the economic stuff. It's so stuff about defence spending, I think. It just comes back to this, can we afford it? Is it responsible to... So Liz Truss, I think, is committed to 3% GDP yeah. on defence, yeah. for example. I think she's kept it at 2.5. I mean, the foreign policy question is an interesting one. But again, I don't think it's one where there's going to be much divergence. It's one of the things Boris got absolutely right with Ukraine and everything, and nobody is going to dare. You know, this isn't this isn't post Iraq where where there's different views on what Britain's role in the world should be. This is very much we're doing well. Let's keep doing it. And I'm a better friend of of uh, Vladimir Zelensky than you are. It's, yeah, no, it's just it's it's funny how what we're going to see over the next couple of weeks is sort of <laughs> these this tightrope whereby they want to highlight sort of the continuity of you know what's great about the Tory party to the Tory members while also trying to present a clean break which for the outside world is going to be quite hard to see i think part of the reason why perhaps the modern dimension would have been interesting was just because you genuinely have a clean start to borrow the tom tugenhout phrase well, how much do we think the Boris factor plays into this? Because if you talk to members, they a lot of them still think that Boris 
should be leader. In fact, there's a move by some massive donors to get him back on the ballot. Yeah. Yeah. Rule um, number one is you can't be on the ballot, though, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's literally. Um, but but I think a lot of members, um, a lot of members love Boris Johnson. And do we think that that will play against Rishi Sunak from him being the one who sort of betrayed him in the end? I think it's more that it will play well for Liz Truss because she didn't resign. I think there were plenty of other candidates who, or lots of MPs obviously did resign. Um, there was also that parting sort of comment from Boris in his final PMQs about lower taxes and deregulate, and he sort of mm. basically sort of said that. Yeah, Dominic Cummings has come out and done one of his um, little Twitter threads about how apparently Boris wants Liz Truss to win so that she can crash and burn and he can come back. Mm. Yeah, Which I thought was one of the, like, of all his utterances. Some of the conspiracy the theories in this whole you, campaign have been It wouldn't surprise <laughs> me, though. A man with an ambition that's that size, you know, Churchill came the back. Churchillian question, um, isn't it? Yeah, he is just modelling his entire career on Churchill. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I, saw, <laughs> I saw another one which made me funny going, he's quoted Terminator, maybe he's alluding to I'll be back. Exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah, I saw a lot of that, yeah. I mean, I think the kind of, cons- uh, the, 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 consensus view is that Liz Truss will be the the favourite with the members. But I'm not convinced that a long campaign will necessarily play to her strengths. Yeah. I think I, I completely agree. I think when there's when there's going to be more public debating, more broadcast, Liz has basically ignored broadcast until she did the Today programme this morning, and obviously the TV debates. She struggled in the first TV debate. She came back and sort of lent into the fact that she wasn't necessarily the slickest performer, and that worked well for her. But over a long campaign, where they're doing hustings after hustings after hustings, they're doing more TV debates, more interviews... He's Will Rishi come through and be and sort of and be the sort of more reassuring, safe pair of hands that people want? The other the other dimension in all of that, of course, is is the fact that Tory members can vote so early. So mm. will they just write in or tick the Liz Trust box in week one and and let it go? Small caveat here: apparently, you can vote online and in person, and whichever one you do last is the one that counts. So you can vote vote twice. <laughs> uh, if you change your mind, then... Uh, sounds like it's going to work perfectly yeah. smoothly. <laughs> <That's laughs> yeah, yeah, no problems there at all. I think, um, I think the, it's really... I don't think anyone can say with such certainty if the more the membership see of Rishi, the more they like him. And as Cal rightly alluded to, there's a self-awareness from Team Trust that she's not perhaps the smoothest performer. And even though she played well to her base in the two... TV debates, you know, the polling that showed immediately afterwards wasn't that registered in the same way across the country. Um, time will tell. I think Rishi, the more they see of him, the membership, the more they'll like him. Having said that, to Alice's earlier point, I don't think we can undermine how strong a sentiment of the anti-Rishi movement there is because of his sort of affiliation with being the one that wielded the life. This is- it's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. The thing that you need to balance, that Tory members will be balancing in their own minds, I think, is their, their instincts towards, um, you know, the kind of perhaps the more attractive ideology of Liz Truss versus the you know Tory desire to win elections yeah and you've seen that immediately with Rishi's messaging in the last yeah. 24 I'm hours which is yes, I'm being, yeah. and um yeah I think obviously I guess the irony in this whole contest which is the elephant in the room which we haven't touched upon but probably should is that they're doing all this you know BBC Radio 4 they're doing all that they're fighting for all this news coverage for such a small percentage of the population um, so that's yeah. yeah I think they're doing it because there will continue to be these general public polls and that they can then throw out to the members being like, look, I'm so clearly the winner. Yeah. Let's just talk briefly. We haven't really mentioned it, but Brexit surprisingly hasn't come up that much. And Rishi Sunak, I think, is not someone the public generally think of as a Brexiteer, even though when the referendum happened, there's this famous, relatively famous um, story about David Cameron saying, oh, well, now Rishi's gone. Well, you know, we're really in for a fight. It was seen as a big thing when he, the kind of rising star. But I've never heard him say anything like Brexity or why he supports Brexit or what his version of Brexit looks like. I think if he were to sort of unpack that, that might go down well with what is still a pretty Eurosceptic membership. I feel like Brexit has turned from being an argument about leaving the EU to being a kind of vibe test. Um, and it's like, are you going to do something kind of dramatic and revolutionary um, and bold or are you going to take a more cautious... Um, status quo yeah. approach and I just feel like Rishi has a kind of Romani vibe even though he was a Romaner it's amazing and Liz trust the opposite oh, yeah. sorry yeah. they hated that a very slick video being sort of a, a sort of short history of Rishi's Euroscepticism but it's it's amazing that the ERG have piled in behind Liz Liz Truss even though she wasn't the one who had to put her neck on the line during the referendum it's campaign. It's the vibes thing. It's like, mm. she's on a tank, she's yeah. signing trade deals, that's Brexit. I think it's... Like, it's yeah, <laughs> she's making unfunded promises. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> but, um, Have a bit of that. I guess <laughs> the, push, the pushback would be that while Sunak clearly was a Brexiteer, he wasn't the most visible person during the campaign. I don't think I've seen a photo of him with sort of the vote yeah. leave Yeah, yeah, yeah. No one associates him with vote leave um, at all. And I think, again, it's maybe... Maybe it's a fear amongst the Eurosceptic wing of the party that this has been someone who's been in the Treasury for so long who they see as being an institutional blockage to really harnessing the benefits Brexit can bring. So maybe it's that aspect too as well. And to your point, the international trade brief is such a visible you know, pro-Brexit win. One thing I think is strange though is that he has this kind of other persona which we occasionally see, which is the kind of tech bro-y Silicon Valley thing, which would be, I think, would be quite easy to fuse into a kind of, uh, you know all singing, all dancing, high-tech version of Brexit where we're yeah. really into, you know, leading the world in AI and, I don't know, lab-grown meat, whatever. All I these think, all these great, exciting things where you can pair those two things and make it sound exciting and not 
you know, just a kind of accommodation. I think he'll probably like at the moment. start to play that up a bit more. I mean, the video he did before the TV debate about how, how passionate and sort of historically Brexit he was, um, and then into the TV debate when his question was admittedly misplaced, but the, the sort of pinning Liz Truss as a Remainer and a Liberal Democrat, she, he clearly wants to, is, is trying to position himself as the Brexit person. I think that might be where the synergy comes in. I know, because he, he's what, pledged to sort of look at all of the 2,400 regulations from the EU and on day one, and I'll start on day one, and, uh, and look at how best to, to sort of unshackle ourselves from that. And I expect there's going to be a lot of, yeah, sort of tech, research, innovation, um, emphasis to that. Let's just talk about the broader political context here. So one thing I've noticed in the last two weeks is that Labour are, as ever, they seem quite kind of overconfident to me. Um, considering how big the electoral mountain they still have to climb is. I mean, if you were Keir Starmer, God forbid, would you? how would you be feeling? I imagine he would be feeling positive, but if he's got any sense, and also bear in mind the kind of folk memory of 1992 in the Labour Party, he won't be getting ahead of himself, surely. You would hope not. <laughs> I don't. I don't think you. I don't think you can. I mean, he will be enjoying watching Tories take lumps out of each other. The, the digital team will be saving clips from the debates for sure. But if you were, if you were to ask, you know, it seems to be common knowledge that if you asked the Labour Party who they wanted the final two to be, this would have been the final two they would have gone for. Because to the point we made earlier in the podcast, there's no. It's a really compelling case to say there's been no change. It's mm. complete continuity, not just in terms of policies, although obviously. Liz Trussman's might be radical tax changes, but in terms of, you know, the allegations of, you know, sleaze, obviously uh, Sunak has got a fine as well from the police, is, a, is an easy narrative for Labour to tell their base and the public that, well, they're, they're just rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. Yeah. Um, and it'll be hard for the Tories to present this <laughs> fresh start. But you are right about the mountain they have to climb. I mean, yeah. electorally, I, I, I don't know the numbers of it, but... It, it seems very difficult for them to get a a majority without Scotland. And they're not going to be winning in Scotland anytime soon, I don't think. So they're probably staring down the barrel of, of a coalition um, at, at best. But then again, the yeah. flip side is, you know, it's that cliche of a week's a long time in politics. Starmer will probably be thinking, if I have to do a whole set of leadership campaign debates against... Liz Truss, then maybe I could really move the dial there. You know, I don't want to suggest he's getting overly confident, but you can see how they're wargaming potential paths where they can overcome the current actual maybe, but I just electoral think, I just landscape. Think he's very good, is the other thing. Like, he's presentationally pretty awful. I don't really know what he stands for. He's got that thing of the kind of I don't know why Labour keeps selecting leaders with like, incredibly nasal voices that are really difficult to listen to for more than about 10 seconds. Um, I know that's really superficial, but it's, you know, there's a really good column by, I think, Ian Leslie about this, about mm-hmm. how it really impacts the way voters yeah, absolutely. think about I mean, them. Voters, voters vote, vote on vibes, right? Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. It's like, a vibe-based vote. Can't say I relish the prospect of a kind of challenge between either pair. So, you know, Keir Starmer versus Liz Truss, both kind of awkward and wooden debaters, or Keir Starmer and Rishi Sunak, both kind of clever, seem like decent chaps, not that much to distinguish between the two, really. Yeah, I guess the challenges of all these things is is the Labour bounce in the polls because there's actually an apathy towards the, the Tories that have been in power for 12 years, or as, as we sort of allude to, is it just simply because people are frustrated with the Tories but not enamoured with Keir Starmer and will that sort of 
re re oscillate, yeah. rebalance. I think we really need to throw into the mix here just how shit the autumn winter period is going to be. Oh yeah, because mm. if people think energy bills are bad now, like they're going to be another what grand mm. on top of that, like yeah. it's going to be like. Well, this is where I think. <laughs> This is where I think in terms of the policy debate will be interesting because I think it's going to be incredibly difficult for Rishi to maintain the, his economic vision given how bad it's going to be in, in the winter. I think we're going to end up going towards a sort of targeted tax cuts scenario, whether that be, you know, temporary suspension of green levies or, you know, VAT or fuel to simply offset it. And I think we end up, we'll, <laughs> we might end up going to a middle ground, not quite where the trust school of thought is but equally i imagine we will have to move somewhat from the risky view that any money pumped into the system will further fuel inflation yeah i mean i uh, i i agree i think we've already seen some of that anyway with the payments have gone out this month to help people we've got another kind of flat 400 pound payments going out later in the year personally i wish they would just if they're going to do it just raise universal credit it's a much better way of getting money to people who need it than giving everyone money when might not necessarily need it I mean, can we construct a more, Alice, let's say from a card-carrying Tory optimist's perspective, can we construct a more optimistic case that actually this will be a reset and that this will give the Tories a boost in the polls and that, you know, there's a reason they got rid of Boris Johnson. And we keep seeming to forget that, which is that they were tanking in the polls. Yeah. Yeah. And he was personally very strongly associated with Yes, that. I think they were right to get rid of Boris Johnson. I do think it will be an advantage to go into next election with a new leader because in some sense people will be having a fresh look at the Conservatives they won't just be thinking of oh, same old Boris again um, so I do think it will be advantage I do think it's actually changed the game a bit because as as you were saying um, and in a, few, a previous podcast I did with James Johnson the pollster mm-hmm. said how badly how toxic Boris was to the Conservative brand um, so yes I, I do think that this uh, is a positive step and gives us puts us on a better footing. Whoever uh, wins, I completely agree with that. I think the, I think also the other point is, the perception is part of the reason government hasn't been so effective is because the number ten operation hasn't been you know trusted. The other departments haven't trusted the lines number ten have put out. It's not really clear what the strategic vision is. So there could be a genuine reset in terms of if num- the next number ten occupant brings in a fresh cabinet, also brings strategic leadership, then that will bring back confidence in the departments and then that will bleed into good policy formation. But do we think the Parliamentary Party will more or less... There's been a bit, of, a lot of rancour in the last few weeks, but do you think, faced with the prospect of an election in two years, they'll broadly pull behind whoever it is? I think they will, yeah. I think they, the Tories win elections, right? That's what they do. MPs want to, want to win their seats and they will, they, will, they will know that the best way to do that is sort of showing a unified front at the next election. I know it's been a nightmare, but we've got a new face, we've got a new plan, and we're here to fix it. Yeah, and, and both candidates have been in the Cabinet for a long time, have senior leadership positions. I think, you know, MPs will know that they're kind of known quantity to MPs of whatever faction, so... So just to finish things off, each of us, I mean, I think I know what your, Cal's answer is going to be, and I suspect we might all give the same answer, <laughs> but... Day one in 10 Downing Street, what do you think the top priority for the incoming Prime Minister is? It could be domestic, it could be foreign. You know, What's going to be the first thing they're going to want to get done, do we think? Something tangible on the cost of living. Mm-hmm. Um, what, whatever that shape takes, I think it's going to probably take an sort of emergency budget. Here's what we're going to do for winter, because as you say, John, the winter is going to be a nightmare. Everybody's underpricing that. Um, 
And that is, I mean, that's the one thing that matters the most. And that's also the one thing that's going to, people are going to feel at the next election. We can talk about Starmer versus whichever um, leader the Tories end up with. But ultimately, if they can say, look, over the last two, I know it's been hard out of our hands, but over the last two years, we've done X, Y, Z, and it could have been a lot worse. And we've mm-hmm. got a plan to fix it. Then that, that's going to be the biggest, um, the biggest vote swinger over everything else, I think. Okay. Uh, Alice? Uh, yeah, couldn't say it better than Cal, but I think the second thing that they're going to want to do after something tangible in the cost of living is get on the phone to Zelensky and just ensure that there's a complete continuity um, with our support for Ukraine. Yeah, I, th- I think the key policy issue is cost of living. However, I would caveat that with if Sunak does win, will he call an emergency budget? Perhaps not, because... He might think that the current economic policy is very much one that he set up. He won't necessarily need to see to diverge from it. I think if you're, I think the, just the logistic thing is to get in a, a very good cabinet that unites the party. I think the point that we haven't touched upon is, what well, Truss has got over 100 votes. Obviously, Penny Morden got over 100 votes and Sunak got 137. This is a very split party, clearly. And you're going to have to bring people and unify it. You know, Boris, a criticism of Boris Johnson was that he didn't, perhaps bring all wings of the party into his cabinet, and that's what breeds discontent. I think there's going to be actually a lot of sort of thinking with the whiteboard and saying who sits where and how that's going to work. Because obviously you've got to reward those who are very quick to back you, those first 50 names, but then equally you've got to be in the key players. So I'm going to, to finish, I'm going to slightly dissent from the consensus in that it's more like what Alice said second basically which is that I think their top priority should be to try and reassemble or boost the kind of international coalition towards Ukraine because while the cost of living stuff is absolutely paramount the longer that conflict goes on the more baked in the higher cost of living is because of all the energy ramifications and I know we don't get loads of gas from Russia but you know movements on the Mm. margin of the market push the prices up um and I also just think it's like a grand civilizational conflict that our side has to win. Um, so that would be my... Um, I think the Ukrainians lead, need way more than they're getting. And the UK has been their, one of their biggest advocates and is in a particular place to, to do that. So, yeah, that's my two cents. Just give, give the Ukrainians With as much as With all these things, it's, you know... <laughs> watch what, <laughs> Try to do all of it. Yeah. Watch, watch yeah. what you do, not watch what they do. Don't just listen to what they say, because we're going to see a lot of posturing to their core base. I wouldn't be surprised if we hear Sunak taking a hard line on the Northern Ireland Protocol, for example. But then equally, if he does win, he could easily take a more softer stance. Yeah, we can. We only need remember Keir Starmer's campaign for the Labour leadership in which he promised <laughs> Corbynism 2.0. <laughs> and just look at him now. Guys, thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us. And thank you all at home for listening as well as ever. Do tune in. Next week, when I will be interviewing the writer Tomiwa Odale. Thanks very much. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.